morning and welcome to the Dissident Daughters podcast. I am Ada and I'm flying solo today. I've got lots of stuff I want to talk about. The topic for today is what I wish I could tell my believing family and friends. This idea has been kind of bumping around in my head for a while And I've heard other podcasters do kind of a similar topic, but I haven't heard anybody do it in the way that I really wanted to do it, if that makes sense. I always think about this idea of just wanting to be able to have my believing family and friends listen to something or read something or or whatever to try and help them understand me. If you guys, my listeners, are anything like me or if, you, if you've had an experience like me in leaving the church and having um, to kind of explain yourself to your believing family and friends, you know that it can be really difficult. Um, and there's a couple of factors that play into that. One is that our believing family and friends, they can tend to feel a little bit defensive because, and for good reason, I mean... I totally get it. I totally understand it. I was in their shoes once. The church is not just a religion. It is literally like almost everything to do with your identity when you are a true believer. And um, that that is definitely true for me. It, you know, it was not just a religion. It was everything to me. It was a lifestyle. It was a culture. It was my tribe. It was, it literally defined me at my very core. And so I think that we run into this hurdle of when we try to explain to people why we no longer believe in the church or why we're leaving the church, there are immediate walls that go up. And that's that's one of the reasons is because the people we're talking to feel very sensitive about this and they feel like um, you you know, you explaining why you no longer believe in the church has a direct impact on them and they feel the need to defend their stance or why they believe in the church. And it, and it feels like a direct cut to them and their identity because they identify so strongly with the church. And so, man, it's such a hard thing to get past to get to a place where we can have real, true, authentic communication without getting upset with each other, without feeling defensive, because now, you know, when you lose your faith in the church, you have you want to defend why you left the church or defend yourself and your beliefs, and you want others to understand you. And um, our believing family and friends also want to be understood and they feel the need to defend their stance and their beliefs and why they stay. And so this can be like a really, really tricky conversation. But I hope that maybe some things that I say today can help in that process, whether that means that you you know, if your family or friends are willing to listen to this podcast, I want to make it like a really safe episode that you could potentially share with them if you feel like they would listen. And 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 if not, that's okay. But maybe you can take away some tips 
for how to have that conversation in a safe and loving way. Because honestly, let, let's be honest for a minute, okay? Nobody is going to change anybody's um, mind, okay? Nobody's going to change somebody else's beliefs. And if as a non-believer, as somebody who's had a faith crisis and left the church, if your goal is to change your family and friends, then you are going to fail at that goal, okay? That is not a good goal, okay? Our first thing that we need to accept is that there are good reasons to stay in the church and that for some people, that is the best thing for them to do and the best place for them to be is inside the church. And so if you can first accept that and accept that you are not going to change them and that you shouldn't want to change them, you shouldn't want to try and change their mind, then we can move forward, okay? And believing family and friends also need to accept that they are not going to change people who have left the church, who have learned the things that they've learned. There's no going back from that. There really isn't. And granted, like people leave for different reasons. I left for very specific reasons to dealing with the truth claims of the church and the current, the current management, I guess, of the church. And those things cannot be undone. So therefore, this is not something where, you know, I might change my mind and come back to church because those things can't change. What's done is done and and those things can't change. But I'm not saying that, you know, believing family and friends can't pray uh, for that. But what I would suggest if you are a believing family or friend listening to this and you have you have somebody in your life who has left the church, advice to you is to simply listen to your non-believing family and friends, empathize with them, put aside your own mm, maybe like preconceived notions about what non-believers are feeling or thinking and what their goal is. Maybe try to put that aside and try to just simply listen to them. And then also your goal should not be to change anyone as well. So if you are holding out hope um, as a believing person that your non-believing family or friend is going to change their mind, then you are also making a mistake, I believe, because the, the hope that somebody will change or that if that is your goal, you are going to be disappointed and you're going to end up like the, the other person will feel that from you. Okay. They will feel your desire to change them. And that is never a good place to be coming from. That is never a good place to build a relationship of trust from if you are trying to change them. So there's just some, kind of some, some groundwork there. I believe that for the most part, people who leave the church, and this includes me, they do it as a choice of conscience and they do it from a place of integrity. Now, I don't want anybody to get offended by that because you may think that I'm saying that people who stay in the church don't have integrity. I'm not saying that. So what I'm saying is that I was taught to have integrity And when I learned the things that I learned about the church, 
my integrity would not allow me to stay. Now, that does not mean that people can't stay in the church and have integrity. There are lots of faithful, believing members of the church who have incredible integrity and conscience. Okay, so I just want to say that for me, I could not stay with my integrity intact. Okay, and that's something that might be hard for believing people to hear. And it might make them feel a little bit defensive, but I don't want you to feel defensive. I want you to listen with a really open heart and mind and try to understand that when people leave, it's not because they want to do bad things. It's not because they've been deceived by Satan and it's not because they've lost all of their integrity. Okay. And if you have an incredibly hard time believing that, then that's the place where you need to start. You need to start with trying to accept that people who have a lot of integrity and who are moral and good, they can leave the church. If you have a very black and white thinking about that and you think that people who leave the church no longer have morality or integrity, then, you know, I don't know if I can help you. until you can kind of open up your mind to a different idea. Now, one thing that I would suggest and what a book that was super helpful to me is a book called Bridges, Ministering to Those Who Question. It's by David Osler. He is a faithful member of the church. This is a safe book for believing family and friends. And I read this book while I was a believing member. So I know that it's safe, okay? I I read this when my husband left the church and it was incredibly helpful to me in allowing space for me to believe the church and also love my husband unconditionally without trying to change him. And it really when I mean, the book is called Bridges. It really does help you to build a bridge between you as a believing member and your family member who is no longer believing, okay? So I highly recommend this book. I am probably going to share a bunch of passages from that book, but um, I first wanted to mention that and then mention a couple of things. So when people lose their faith, it impacts all of their relationships. Okay, I shouldn't say all, because some people, if you don't live in Utah or if you aren't surrounded by a lot of members of the church, maybe you have a lot of relationships outside of church or outside of members of the church. For me, all of my relationships, essentially, were members of the church. I would say 99% of my relationships were with people in the church. So when I left, that was the hardest part, okay? It was incredibly painful, And even though I felt confident in my choice to leave, I knew that what I was doing was right for me and my family. That still did not take away the pain that I felt in making that choice because I knew that it would forever change my relationships with members of the church. And there was no way around that. And that was incredibly painful. So I need people to understand that when somebody leaves. They do not do it lightly. They do not make that choice lightly or flippantly or spur of the moment without thinking about it or without really contemplating the gravity of that choice. Okay. 
there's a lot of nuances. They, there are very complicated issues that contribute to the confusion that people are feeling. Okay. There is, and, and um, David Osler talks about that in, in Bridges. He talks about the nuances. He talks about how, you know, some members are able to, some believing members are able to take on some of those nuances and have it not destroy their faith. And that's a really beautiful place to be in um, because a lot of us tend to lean into some very black and white thinking that makes it very difficult to embrace nuances, which which basically means areas of gray, right? Sometimes in that black and white thinking, we can think that people who leave the church are just being quitters or they are being lazy or they are betraying their religion or their family or their very their very selves. They 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 believe, you know, believing family and friends can think very black and white about that. And and there's a reason for that and that is because they've been taught very black and white thinking, okay? And and that can be really hard to undo. But one of the things that I've learned is that it is it is helpful to try to think more in areas of gray and not so black and white, okay? Another thing that believing family and friends are going to experience is that they're going to see that the person who is leaving the church has become very angry, okay? And there's a good reason why they've become angry, and that is because they feel betrayed, okay? I remember feeling like I had been lied to, and I had been deceived, and I had been betrayed by the one institution that I felt could never betray me. I felt 100% confidence in the church and belief in the church and its leaders. And then when that confidence was shattered, I felt a deep sense of betrayal. And this can be really difficult and can make you feel a lot of angry feelings. And in the church, we're always taught that anger is of the devil, right? And we're taught that we shouldn't feel angry feelings. But in all honesty, anger is actually a healthy emotion. It's just, I mean, it's, it's just one of the emotions. Okay. Like all emotions, we, we should not pin a morality to our emotions. Okay. We need to be able to feel whatever emotions come up And instead of shoving them down or pushing them away or rejecting them because we think, oh, those are of the devil. Instead of that, let's get curious about why, why we're feeling that emotion, right? If you are in, okay, let's, let's, let's have a scenario here. If you are in a marriage, okay, and you are married to a person for a long period of time, say you're married for 25 years. You love this person. You share your life with them. They are everything to you. You have devoted time and energy and effort into making this a really beautiful relationship and you love it and you you love this person and you love your life together. You've built a beautiful life. And then one day you find out that this person has been cheating on you the entire time you were married, the entire time. They've had another life. For 25 years, they've had another relationship, a whole nother life outside of you. Would you tell yourself that you can't be angry because that's of the devil? 
I mean, that sounds ridiculous, right? You would feel justified in feeling angry, right? So hopefully you can understand why someone would feel angry and you can give them some grace that that anger has some justification behind it, that there is a reason for it, okay? Now, if this was a friend or family member, okay, say say your, your best friend comes to you and says, you know, after 25 years of being married, my spouse, I find out that my spouse has been cheating on me this entire time, that he has an entire other life, another person that he is sharing his life with. Um, would you say to them, Oh, but you know what? You don't need to, you shouldn't be angry. Think of all the good times that you've had with this person. Think of all the good that this person has brought into your life. Think of the children that you have. Um, think of all the happy times that you've had. Would you tell that person that their anger is not justified because of the good things that that relationship brought to their life? I don't think you would. I think that you would, it would be very difficult to set aside the anger, and only focus on the good things that happened in that relationship, correct? And and also, would you, would you tell that person to stay in this relationship where they had been betrayed? Would you tell them that they should stay, that they should get over it, that they should only focus on the good and stay? Okay, that is the kind of um, comparison that we're talking about here. That is the level of betrayal that people who lose their faith are feeling. And so I want, I only share that experience to tell you that, that that is how it feels when you learn some of the things in the church that have made you feel betrayed. And so it would be as if, you know, to tell somebody to come back to the church, it would be the same as if you're telling them to go back into that relationship where they were terribly betrayed. Okay. The church feels super personal. People take criticism of the church very personal because they feel their identity in the church. And I completely get that. I felt that too. 100%. Okay. Members of the church, they're some of the most wonderful people I know. They are good They are not bad betraying people. So it's not the people in the church who typically are the ones causing the hurt and pain and betrayal. What it is, is the system, okay, of the church. It is the claims of truth in the church that end up hurting people um, when they learn about some of the more difficult parts of history, okay? So my best advice is to not try to change somebody else's mind. Do not tell them to go back to the church or to pray harder. Do not take their change of belief personally. Try not to get offended or feel attacked. Try to understand that they have just learned things that, you know, that were hard for them to learn. And their feeling of betrayal is real, okay? And do not try to convince them otherwise, because that is super harmful. And I want you to try to not build up walls of defense around you, but to be willing to listen with an open heart and an open mind, give people some grace and allow them 
to have their own journey and don't make it mean anything about you, right? It's really easy to to, um, make it personal about us. If you're a parent and your children have left, I know exactly what that feels like because I was there. My child left the church before I did. And I felt like I had failed. I hadn't taught him well enough. I wanted so badly to just impart of my testimony onto him. Um, I felt that there was something that I had done wrong. And now being on the other side, I realized I hadn't, I didn't do anything wrong. And so if you are a believing person who's had a child leave, understand that you did not do anything wrong. In fact, if your child is someone who can think for themselves, then you did something right. Um, that is not a bad thing. Sometimes we, in the church, we tend to lean towards feeling that if our kids do not conform and just obey without question, um, if our kids don't do that, then we think that we failed. But actually the opposite is true. We need to allow and even encourage questioning and maybe even pushback against the, the systems and the things that maybe we've been taught to do without question. When I started to learn that the church was not everything that I had been taught that it was, I could not reconcile those those things. I had something called cognitive dissonance. And I think in the church, we learn that it's like a stupor of thought or that it's a bad feeling, like... If you feel anger or you feel, I mean, people in the church would describe it as like having the spirit leave you or feeling like a negative thought um, about the church or about the leadership or about the doctrines. And so I think sometimes as a member of the church, like if I had a bad thought or something that was difficult to learn, my immediate response was to think that, oh, that's the spirit leaving me, or that is Satan, you know, um, and I don't want to feel those negative feelings. But in fact, that is a real phenomenon called cognitive dissonance. It's when, you know, you're learning something that doesn't line up with the reality that you thought you knew. And that is a really difficult feeling to sit with and to um, accept. Um, And so I think as believing members of the church, we try to explain it away by saying, well, that's just Satan or that's a bad feeling that I'm having. When in fact, it's just a very natural response to um, having the reality and your beliefs not lining up exactly. And, you know, and it's okay for that to happen. That's the other thing is like, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's something that we should get curious about and learn about instead of just shutting it down because we think it's a negative thought or feeling or that it's Satan deceiving us or, you know, having influence over us. Okay. But there's no manual. There's no, um, guidebook that tells you step-by-step. This is how you leave the church in the most, um, healthy and happy way. So unfortunately, you know, I stumbled. (laughs) I definitely stumbled, even though I tried really hard to, you know, talk to my closest friends and family individually 
take them aside, um, tell them how I was feeling, be upfront and honest with people and try to share those feelings. Um, I just needed, like, I needed to feel validated. I needed to be able to, to talk about my experience and have someone say, I understand, or I'm sorry. And, um, when you kind of lash out because you're angry at the church, it pushes people away and it does not make them say, oh, I understand, or I hear you and I empathize and I'm sorry. What it makes them do is say, no, 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 you're wrong. You, you know, or make excuses, say, no, what you learned isn't true. Or, you know, this is how you can reconcile it. Or, or that's not what I was taught. Or, you know, all kinds of, you, you end up receiving a lot of gaslighting from people and um, people, you know, will kind of make excuses for the church and say that that's, you know, not how it happened or that, you know, you're wrong about this or that. And it just ends up being a really not a not a healthy, not a not a conversation that gets you anywhere. OK, so a couple of a couple of things that I've learned is a you're not ever going to change somebody else's mind by arguing truth claims. Right. I'm not going to be able to convince somebody that they should leave the church just because of something that I've learned. And B, they're not ever going to change me by praying harder or begging me to read my scriptures one more time or asking me to get close to God. That's not going to change my mind. That's not going to be a, a helpful um, tip for me, right? One of my first kind of huge shelf items was um, when my daughter came out as gay and, and those who've listened to my podcast before know this. But what I really struggled with was um, I suddenly had cognitive dissonance about what I had always been taught about gay people and the reality of my daughter sitting in front of me who I had birthed from my body and raised from an infant. And I knew her probably better than anyone else on the earth knows her. And I loved her more than probably anyone else on the planet loves her. And that cognitive dissonance is so, I mean, there's no denying it. There is no getting out of it. There's no escaping that. And so I really had to sit with that and say, okay, what do I actually believe? And does it line up with what I've always been taught? And it didn't. What I felt what I felt about her did not line up with the way I had always felt about gay people in general because of what I had been taught my whole life. So the hardest part about that was that I suddenly questioned everything I'd been taught about other things too. Because when I recognized that maybe the church leaders could be wrong about something. It kind of opened my mind to the idea that they could have been wrong about other things too, which is a really painful place to go to. Like I didn't want to go there. I think I was somewhat forced to go there because I had to reconcile this, this whole teaching about gay people 
with the way I felt about my daughter. And so that was the kind of the first things that I studied and learned. And I, I, I read a book called um, Gay Rights in the Mormon Church. And um, it was incredibly enlightening to me about, um, number one, the, the church's stances and beliefs about LGBTQ people and how much they had changed over time, as well as how much the church has really been in like deeply, deeply involved in so much of the politics and policies in regards to same-sex marriage and things like that. Because, and the reason why they were so involved is because they felt so strongly that marriage is between a man and a woman. And they teach that as one of their core doctrines. And they really felt a strong need to fight against what they would call the gay agenda. And um, the, the problems that I saw with that is that they had changed their mind so many times, meaning they had changed their stance in like, why people are gay or if people even are gay, like whether it's a choice or not. So in, in the early years, they believed that being gay was a choice. And, um, and then they believed that, you know, being gay was caused by masturbating or that you were gay if you didn't have a dad or a mom involved in your life, or if you had a dad or a mom that was too involved in your life. I mean, the, um, the speculation about, the causes of gayness were crazy. If you go back and read uh, President Kimball's book, The Miracle of Forgiveness, uh, the section about gay people, you'll just be astounded. And I just couldn't believe because now the messages are much gentler and kinder. And um, the church, you know, fully says that they recognize that being gay is not a choice. But, but whether you act on it or not is a choice, right? And so the, the beliefs had changed so drastically just in my lifetime that I recognized that something, you know, didn't seem quite right because I had always been taught that, that doctrine comes from God, right? And uh, the church teaches us that God is leading this church and that his doctrine never changes because God never changes. But then the reality hit me that this doctrine has changed many times because, I mean, first of all, if you go back to the beginning of the church, um, the doctrine was, and it still is because it's still in our scriptures in Doctrine and Covenants 132, the doctrine on marriage is that um, polygamy is required for the highest degree of glory in the celestial kingdom. So, but we don't live polygamy now and they, you know, now the doctrine is that marriage is between one man and one woman. And so that's a pretty essential doctrine. That's a pretty um, core thing in the church that has changed. And, and that's not a small change. That's a significant change. So that really kind of started my concerns about what the church has taught and how it has changed over time. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, that revelation has to, you know, change your belief about the church. If you are able to reconcile that 
and understand, you know, a lot of people are able to just say, well, prophets make mistakes and they've been wrong about things, but that doesn't mean the church isn't true. Okay, that's fine. That's great. I just was not able to reconcile that. It was too difficult of a hurdle for me to get over, no matter how hard I tried. And I promise you, I tried. So that was really, really hard for me. I, I want to talk a little bit about this book, Bridges, Ministering to Those Who Question by David Osler. Um, he talks about how our beliefs change over time. And I think it's really interesting. Um, he, he makes the comparison about how when we were children, we once believed that um, every Christmas Eve, a man in a red suit traveled across the globe with the aid of flying reindeer to deliver toys to every good child on the planet. Well, eventually we learned that this just wasn't the case. And some of us are more traumatized by that discovery than others. But most people are still able to move on and still celebrate Christmas with joy. And I think that's a really interesting comparison because I think it speaks to the fact that um, some people, when they when their beliefs change about something, they are not able to reconcile and go back to the church um, or to believe. Like it's like if you told me I had to try to believe in Santa now, there it's just not possible. Um, I can't. I can't go back and believe in Santa Claus again. And it's kind of the same thing with the church. I can't go back and believe in the truth claims of the church any longer, just as I can't um, go back and, and force myself to believe in Santa Claus again, right? So it's it's kind of this, this, really, this really tricky line that I think we have to walk when we're having conversations between non-believers and believers, because I never, my intention is never to offend uh, a believing person, but I also don't want to necessarily agree with them about their beliefs because I feel strongly about the beliefs that I now hold. And also, not only that, it's not that I want somebody to believe the same as me. I just want to be validated, right? I mean, isn't that what all of us want? We just want to be validated. We just want somebody to say, I hear you. I see you. I'm sorry. I can see that that caused you great pain, you know? I actually went back in on Facebook and went back to my my very first post where I basically told the world that I was leaving the church. I went back and I looked at it and I was just blown away. I had forgotten how amazing and kind and loving everyone's responses were. I never got a single person saying, well, now you're going to hell. Not, not one single one, not even anything close to that. People were so loving and respectful and, and just so kind. And I really felt heard and I really felt validated. And I think we have to understand that that's, that's what all of us need is just to feel heard and seen and validated at times. So if you are a believing member and you are struggling with your ability to validate somebody else's different experience. Um, hopefully this podcast and the things I have to say will help a little bit. One of the things it talks about in this Bridges book is the stages of faith development. And I think this is really interesting. If you've never learned about the, the stages, the Fowler's stages of faith development, um, he was a psychologist, uh, 
he is a, a leader in the field of faith development, and he developed a six-stage framework for faith development, okay? And um, in this book, he, he mainly talks about the first four stages, okay? He talks about how stage one and two occur as we grow up in families. You know, when you're in primary and in youth group and, you know, you're being taught religion by your parents and teachers and others, and, and we're young and we're small and we don't know anything different. We, we believe what they say. And then um, as we get into our teenage years, you know, kids tend to maybe reject some of the things their, their parents taught them, you know, or they start to get different ideas about what's important to them. And so this, this goes into stage three. Um, this is when we kind of start to form our own beliefs and um, that doesn't mean we leave the church. That's that's just part of um, our, our faith stages changing. And um, we this is basically when we develop our own testimonies, right? Um, this happens as we get more experiences um, in seminary, in the institute, as we go on missions, as we get married, as we go through the temple. Like these are all things that kind of expand our faith and our testimonies and, and we grow and we, we start taking more ownership of our faith. And, and it's not just all about what our parents taught us. This is the stage where we no longer rely on someone else for our testimony. And we usually you know, complete this stage by the time we're young adults. And this is when we're just developing our individual beliefs regarding um, our religious and spiritual world. So many, if not most, I would say a very large percentage of Latter-day Saint adults, they stay in stage three their entire lives. Um, They have, you know, a firm testimony and confidence in the church and its leaders, and their faith is meaningful and rich and vibrant, and it defines their lives. Um, for these individuals, their sure faith remains constant and they can incorporate life experiences and challenges into their existing framework um, that was formed when they were young. And, and that's not a bad thing. It's not a negative thing to always stay in that stage three of development. It's very, very common, especially in the church. But um, some people are faced with experience in their life that basically forces them into um, what Fowler says is stage four. And it's characterized as a period when people challenge their previous assumptions and assume individual responsibility for their beliefs. So if some major um, event happens in your life, for me, it was my daughter coming out as gay. Uh, For somebody else, it could be having, you know, experiencing a death in the family or a mental illness or, you know, something else. Sometimes this can essentially make your entire belief system crash around you. And what he talks about is how this can feel like a full-blown crisis. They call it the dark night of the soul, and and it can be incredibly painful. Um, Let me read this little part of the book. In a faith crisis, belief breaks, one's shelf of concerns cracks, and one's old faith loses power and meaning. A faith crisis occurs when a person learns or experiences something that significantly challenges their beliefs and they feel they can't trust the spiritual foundation that they had long relied on. This explains my experience exactly, by the way. Okay, I'm going to keep reading. This could be a result of encountering new information that conflicts with what they had known, disagreeing with a new teaching or policy, or experiencing personal trauma that causes them to be suspicious of various authorities, settings, or situations. 
He's got a quote from Thomas McConkie, who puts it this way, a faith crisis points to a kind of falling apart, a disintegration of one's former world that has previously held up by certain beliefs and propositions. So in a faith crisis, what a person used to believe and the events they currently experience seem to be at odds with one another. Okay, this is cognitive dissonance that I've just been explaining to you. And, and, and he explains it as um, a state of intense dissonance and stress. People in faith crisis experience emotional turmoil and usually desperately want to find peace. Finding resolution to their questions, however, sometimes results in a loss of faith in some or all of the church's foundational truth claims. Some don't like the term faith crisis because it seems too extreme, but at the same time, we, wouldn't, we shouldn't downplay the deep emotional pain that may come when someone's worldview is overturned, leaving them not knowing what to believe and aware of the deep consequences their crisis may have for their lives, family, and important relationships. So this, I mean, this just basically explains my experience exactly. And faith crisis is exactly what I would call it. That's not the way everyone describes their experience. Not everybody feels like it's a crisis, but mine was definitely a crisis. He says, even people who live Christ-like lives and can experience a dark night. For years, after feeling a direct and personal call to serve the poor, Mother Teresa described in her personal writings the anguish and doubt that she was experiencing. In 1959, she wrote, In my soul, I feel just that terrible pain of loss of God not wanting me, of God not being God, of God not existing. Her inner turmoil, known by only a handful of her closest colleagues, lasted until her death in 1997. Isn't that crazy? I never knew that. So Mother Teresa had a faith crisis, even though she spent her entire life you know, serving the poor. So for believing family and friends or those who've never had a faith crisis, it can be really difficult to understand people who are experiencing the dark night of the soul. And it can be really hard for like, if you're in a stage three of faith, it can be really hard to understand people in a stage four. Um, People in a stage four, don't necessarily always go through a full crisis of faith, but it definitely kind of um, puts them in on a path of changing some beliefs um, and sometimes very significantly. So um, this is kind of where maybe somebody becomes a lot more nuanced and they think a lot more in the gray area, right? So essentially, you know, that's what happened to me. I started to question the leaders and whether they were truly led by God because I questioned whether God could change his mind and doctrine could change. And in my mind, I didn't believe that it could or should. And so therefore that really crumbled my ability to put all of my faith and belief in the leaders of the church. Um, And I had probably given you know, way too much power and authority to them as my um, moral compass. And, you know, not everybody does that. Many people grow up being, you know, perfectly fine um, disagreeing with a leader in the church. And they don't feel any cognitive dissonance when a church leader makes a mistake or says something wrong. But for me, in my black and white way of thinking and in my, um, you know, in my head, it had always been that the the church leaders would never lead us astray and that 
um, they were always speaking for God. And so that was a really hard thing for me to accept that they, I suddenly realized or felt in my heart that for me, they were wrong. Um, and they had made a pretty significant mistake. And so that kind of led me to, you know, really study. I was trying to find a way to stay in the church. I was trying to find a way to make my faith fit. And when your shelf comes crashing down, you are forced to make a decision about what pieces of that shelf you're going to pick up and take with you and what pieces you're going to leave and walk away from. And it's not, it's not as black and white again, as I used to think that it was where I thought that if I left the church, I was no longer going to be a good person or be moral or have integrity or be honest or all those things. Because I mean, the truth of it is, is that we're, we're good people at our core. Most people are good at their very core. Now that's not to say that there are not some very evil, terrible people, but my entire idea of good and evil has changed and my entire idea of sin has changed. And so, you know, if a believing person is listening to this, they might reject that idea and that's okay. Um, but I no longer believe that sin is what we think it is. I, I feel like I've been taught about different sins, quote unquote sins my whole life that really weren't sins, but they were more, you know, being taught to me as a way to control my behavior and that it wasn't a healthy way for me to learn about what things were, were good and right and moral. And so it's been a really interesting experience for me to basically start from scratch and to be able to become my own authority and to be able to learn for myself, like what's important to me, what things are of the most value to me, and then put my work and effort into those things. And the things that I value are still very much the same as the things that I valued in the church. And so we're not that different. Believers and non-believers are not that different. Um, there are some fundamental differences in terms of the adherence to you know the guidelines of the church. But when it comes right down to it, I think our moral values are very much the same. Um, and I would say that my moral compass is actually even stronger than it was before because what I did and what I think was a mistake as far as when I was active in the church was I gave my power over to the leaders of the church. And I essentially just, you know, basically gave myself the ability to not even put much thought into um, what my values were, but that I just followed what the church taught me. And I wasn't really a conscious, active participant in deciding what was right and what was wrong. I don't know if that fully makes sense, but um, that's definitely something that has changed since I've left the church and I've recognized that, oh, hey, I'm still a good person. And, and I didn't necessarily need the leaders of the church to tell me what was right and what was wrong. But probably the last thing that I would say to my believing family and friends, I wish that they had asked me how I was doing. When they knew that I was going through something really hard, um, but they were too afraid because they thought that I was no longer a safe person 
because I was maybe speaking out against the church and I was going through an angry phase and a very emotional phase and um, all of these things. And so, you know, people who were very close to me stepped back from me and didn't want to ask me what was going on or didn't want to ask me why I was losing my faith. And I think that was for self-preservation. And I understand that, but I wish it had been different um, because I do still think about that and I feel sad about that. The thing to remember is like, I'm still the same person in a lot of ways. I still really love my family and I still have integrity and I still care about being authentic and real and I care about serving others and doing good in the world. And these people know me. They know me so well. And just because I left the church, I think they suddenly saw me as an other. And I think that's a very natural result um, of me leaving the church. But If you are a believing member, I would really challenge you to try not to do that, to not see um, your friends and family who've left the church as an other and to see their humanity and who they are and to remember that they are still themselves. They are still good. And I would say that, you know, uh, the vast majority of people who leave the church do it with a good conscience and with their integrity fully intact And I think that we just have different ideas about what maybe sin is because when you leave the church, you no longer believe drinking coffee is a sin and things like that. You no longer believe that wearing shorts is a sin. So there are some differences about, you know, how we view different activities or choices. And I think, you know, we all just need to be really careful about judging each other based on what we believe is right or wrong versus what they believe is right or wrong. And I think in the end, we all just want to be happy. We all just be want to be able to live the life we want. We all just need to be loved and validated. We all want to be seen and heard. And I think sometimes that's hard to do. But if we can all dig a little deeper and try a little harder to be more understanding of people's differences, I think that can go a long ways in, you know, blessing each other's lives and strengthening our relationships. I love my family who is still in the church. And sometimes I feel sad about maybe that kind of wedge that is in between us now. Like it feels like there will always be something that kind of blocks us from being able to have a full loving relationship. And that's really hard for me. And I do want to say my mom has been really phenomenal. I know that it's been really hard for her to have me leave the church and to no longer believe. And so, you know, she hasn't always been perfect, but man, she is doing a really beautiful job of showing me unconditional love and accepting me for who I am now and what I believe now. And that has gone such a long way to healing our relationship that frankly is better now than it was when I was in the church because 
we struggled. I mean, we just haven't always had a great relationship. We have really butted heads sometimes and I've really disagreed with her sometimes. And we've had our struggles that like, I think everybody does in families. It's nothing that's, you know, above and beyond what normal families experience. But when we really try to understand each other and, you know, I try not to get in conflict with her about what I believe and what she believes. And I try not to tell her that she needs to, you know, learn all the things that I've learned. I try not to push that on her because I know that she loves the church and that it means a lot to her and that that's where she chooses to be. And I accept that and I'm happy for her if she's happy. And so I think if we can both, and she does the same for me, she doesn't try to change me or make me do anything different. And I think that that is, um, I'm really, really grateful for that because not everybody has that and not everybody has experienced that in their loss of faith. So, um, I just want to say like, I really, these like relationships are so important and I really want people to be able to heal whatever hurts and whatever, you know, bad relationships or, you know, I don't know, strained relationships um, they have because of their change in faith. And so I hope that either, you know, this podcast feels like something you can share with your believing family and friends, or it at least gives you some insight or some, some advice about how to talk to them and how to explain kind of your experience in order to help them better understand you. And again, I would seriously highly recommend the book Bridges, Ministering to Those Who Question. Um, and I think he has a new um, version of it out, like a, I don't know, a second printing of it, um, where they added some things about mixed faith marriage that I think could be super important. Um, I have the original printing of it that doesn't have that section. So I'm kind of interested to go and read that. But um, I just think it can go a long ways because you know, these relationships matter. I really think they matter. And I would hate to have people shutting people out of their lives just because we believe differently. And I guess that's all I have to say about that. (laughs) I hope that this um, episode has been meaningful to you. And I hope that it has maybe helped you to think a little bit and has maybe opened up your heart in some way towards the other side of the aisle and hopefully we can reach across and just really show love to each other and acceptance and give each other grace and allow everyone to come to whatever conclusions they come to in an honest way and um, to be okay with that genuinely okay with that not just I accept you but I fully embrace you right we need to get to that place of fully embracing who people are and and how they believe and what they want to believe and, and allowing them to do that. So thank you so much for listening. I hope this was helpful. Um, I would love any feedback that you have for me. P.S. I am going to be taking a break um, over the Christmas break. I'm taking December off. This is my lap- last episode of the year. Today is the 29th of November. So I'm going to try and get this episode out in the next day or two. And um, that's going to be my last episode for the year. I really need a break. (laughs) The holidays are upon us and they're crazy. And I just have so much I'm constantly working on and trying to get done. And I just feel like I can't get ahead. 
So I apologize to anyone who, you know, is upset that I'm not putting anything out in December, but I'm going to do my best and I'll have some things ready for the first of the year. And, um, I'm definitely excited to keep going. I, I am loving this podcast. I am genuinely loving the listeners. I have the best listeners in the world. You guys are amazing. I have people reach out to me seriously almost every day. I have somebody reach out to me and it's so awesome. Um, I have posted a few things on Instagram, which I've told you guys before. I suck at this. I'm really bad at it. Um, <laughs> and I think I have like, I'm up to like 50 followers. <laughs> So if you listen to my podcast and um, you want to follow me on Instagram, you should so that I don't look so pathetic. <laughs> but I just started that Instagram and I'm not good at posting stuff. I, Dudes, I'm not going to lie. Like, it really is hard. I never even know what to say. But, you know, when stuff comes up, I, I will try to get on there and and uh, post stuff. But I really appreciate all the feedback. Um, anybody that wants to donate to the podcast, you can do that at dissidentdaughters.org. You can also go to Mormon Discussions. Um, let's see, Mormon Discussions Podcast.org, and um, you can donate there. Um, I really appreciate any donations that come in. Um, you know, if you if you've left the church and you now have that ten percent tithing you used to pay, hey, you can you know throw a few dollars my way, and I I would really appreciate it. Um, this really is a labor of love. I don't expect to get paid for the time that I put in, but it is nice um, to to get you know enough to buy a coffee every once in a while. It's awesome. I really appreciate it, and I more than that, even though I just really appreciate the positive feedback, and I love your guys's ideas. I get lots of. I get lots of ideas on um, topics that you guys want to hear about or talk about. And anybody that wants to come on my podcast, I'm happy to have guests. I love it when I have a guest um, and love to have people share stories. And mostly I really want to have a safe space for women to share their stories. We are all, you know, dissident daughters in some way. And that is why that's the name of my podcast. And I, that's the platform that I wanted to have is to really have a space to hear women's voices in this, in this space and this experience that we're all having. So I love that. I love you all. I'm super appreciative of everybody and I will see you next year. Love y'all. Bye. Whoa, whoa, whoa.